So last weekend, we started a four-week sermon series called Grace Going Forward. In this sermon series, we're talking about how grace, we as a church go forward, but we only go forward by the grace of God. So it's His grace that leads us forward. And last weekend, we started by looking at, as we talk about how God leads His church forward, what does it even mean to be the church? What is the church? Because oftentimes we say things like, oh, this weekend I'm going to church, which really means I'm going to worship, but many times we think about it as a location or a building, like I'm going to church as a place. But when you read Scripture, Scripture never describes the church as a location, but it always describes the church as God's people, wherever God's people come together. Because in the New Testament, in the early church, many times they wouldn't have a church building whether it was because of persecution or they didn't have the means or the funds. But if you look at churches such as in Philippi or in Corinth, in their earliest stages, many times they didn't have a building, but they still had the church. And so we looked at out of 1 Peter what it means to be the church and how we as a church are called to display God's glory, to be a, a beautiful church. And, and the way that we do that here at Grace is by being one church that has six ministries. And those six ministries are our adult ministry, our care ministry, our school ministry, our missions ministry, our student ministries, and our worship ministry. At the center of it is that worship ministry because it all flows out of those gifts God gives to us. The gifts in the waters of holy baptism, the gifts we receive at his altar in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, uh, the gifts that we receive by spending time in the fellowship of faith and in the word of God, and flowing in and out of worship, we then flow into the other ministries we have here at Grace. So as last week we talked about what it means to be a, a beautiful church, today we're gonna to talk about what does that mean for us as followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ? How, how does that look in our lives? But before we get into that, let's start with a word of prayer, we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to spend time in your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak into our lives so that we would constantly, consistently be shaped and molded by you and we would follow you faithfully wherever you lead us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, my wife and I finally, hopefully, are in the final stages of purchasing the house that we're in, which is always a good feeling, especially when that gets finished. And we love our house, it's a, a beautiful house. And, and one of the best features that we love about our house is we have a, a nice big backyard. We have about just under an acre for the kids to run around on, for dad to mow, but for the kids to enjoy, right? And they, they love going to the backyard and kicking the soccer ball or throwing the baseball. And we have a, a bunch of beautiful trees in the backyard which offer a lot of shade so we can be out in the backyard even in the heat of the day. And those trees just give us great cover. But amidst all of the beauty of our backyard, as many of you probably have, you have lists of things you want to change about your house. Well, there are also things we want to change about our backyard. The most important of those things that we want to change is we have a lot of these in our backyard. Any of you have a lot of those in your backyard? Dead trees? You have that? Yeah. We have a bunch of those, probably about 15 dead trees that we need to get taken down. And whenever in Wisconsin, we have one of our wonderful wind or ice storms, we get a lot of these. Any of you get a lot of these in your backyard? 
Yeah, we have a ton of these, which my children have found out you can't really kick soccer balls through these very well. Uh, when you're playing tag, it's really easy to trip over these. And so they have to clean these up every time they want to play out in the backyard. And, and they're like, Dad, we need to just get rid of those trees because they're dead. Right? So in order to jo- enjoy the beauty of what our backyard has to offer, we need to get rid of what is dead so that we can enjoy what is alive. Today we're going to talk about that. Because there are things in our lives that are dead, and there are things in our lives that are alive. And we need to get rid of the things that are dead so that we can enjoy the things that are beautiful, that are alive. Which is why last week we talked about what does it mean to be a beautiful church that displays the glory of God. Today we're going to talk about that in a more personal way. What does that mean for us as disciples? What makes a disciple beautiful? Now, I know some of the guys are in here going, well, I really don't care about being beautiful, so, so that's for somebody else. So, so if you don't want that, just think, okay, what makes us strong or what makes a disciple alive and thrive? That's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at it in the words of Jesus in John chapter 15. So I'd, like, I'd love it if you would open up to John chapter 15 in the Bibles in front of you or if you brought your Bible from home or, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, you can open up there. John chapter 15, if you're opening up in the Bibles in front of you, you can find it on page 901, page 901. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now, to give you context, Jesus If you look just previous to this, chapters 13 and 14, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet and he is teaching them, which means this is the last supper scene. And he's in the midst of a longer teaching sequence, which he is reminding them of their calling. And as he is teaching them, he's kind of giving his his final lecture, his last words before he goes away, which is pretty traditional if you read through the scriptures. Moses did this. Joshua did this. The people of God, consistently David did this, where where they leave their last few words before they turn over leadership and somebody steps in. But what they're really doing is saying, to go forward, to keep pressing on, this is what you need to remember. That's what Jesus is saying right here. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So Jesus uses this image that would have been a very familiar Old Testament image of a vineyard. And many of them probably would have gotten that image into their mind. Where he says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, to understand this, if you've you've never raised a vineyard, I'm assuming most of you have not raised a vineyard, but if you would ever plant a vineyard, the vine dresser, the farmer understands this, that you are not going to expect useful fruit or fruit that you want for the first three years that you have this vineyard. And the reason for that is this, the vine might produce fruit, but the vine is so young and it is fragile in its younger stages that the vine dresser will actually cut all the fruit away before it can become fully grown so that the fruit doesn't take the nutrients it needs from the vine. That way the vine can get strong so it doesn't just produce fruit for one, two, three years, but if it, if it kills, if it cuts off all of that initial fruit, then it'll have a vine that lasts long-term, not just short-term, 
and it will have bigger and better and more productive fruit. And it's hard work, and it's dedication, and it's the willingness to say, I'm not going to take what is now at the expense of what is later. And for some of us, we just need to hear that. Because many of us love to run after fruit that we can receive right now. Like, I want the results of my labor right now. I want to get what I want right now. And some of us need to realize that there are times where God is saying, you need to cut that off because I have something better for you in the future. Don't look for the immediate fruit. Look for the long term. So that you can be healthier and stronger in producing that fruit. And so the image there is this of the vine dresser who's producing this, this fruit. And as he's doing it, he starts talking about these two different kinds of branches. So you have the dead branch, and then you have the different kind of branch. And if I were to ask you, I cut this one off of a tree yesterday. If I were to ask you which one of these looks alive, which one would you say is alive? You'd say this one, right? Why? It's got leaves, right? Like, well, no, pastor, it, it, it has the, the leaves and, and, and this one has nothing on it and it is producing what is for a tree like the fruits of the tree. It's not an apple tree or a pear tree, so the leaves kind of work as the, the fruit of that tree. So, so, pastor, you know that this was the, the live branch because it bears the fruit of it. And in fact, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying the life isn't in the fruit, but the life of the fruit comes from the life that's in the tree. And he's saying that, that, that if you want to know if a tree is dead or alive, look at the fruits of it. For every tree that is not producing fruit, the dead ones, I will cut away. But that which is living, I will care for. In fact, this branch would never produce fruit, would it? Because it's dead and it's disconnected. And God is calling us to be connected. And so he goes on in the very next section, continuing to paint this picture, and he says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now there's a word, that word, that very first word in that section, abide, it actually shows up, if you would count it, 10 times in 11 verses. Well, if John uses this word, Jesus uses this word 10 times in 11 verses, obviously it's significant. What that word abide means is actually to remain closely connected to something else, to, to stay connected to something that, that, that by which there is a relationship there. And what we are reminded of in our life is that you and I, we are always connected to, we are always abiding in something. But we just have to ask the question, what is it that we're staying connected to? Because whatever you are staying connected to, you will produce the fruits of what you're connected to. So for instance, with your children, if you're connecting your children very, very closely and consistently with their athletic career, then what you're hoping to do is see the fruits of that. If you're connecting your children very closely to their academic career, then you're hoping to see grades that reflect that. 
This is why you can actually see in some families, uh, they have a very, some, some adults have a very, very healthy work life, but then they have a very, very unhealthy home life. And it's because they've become so connected to their work life and so disconnected from their home life that they're producing the fruits in their career, but they're not producing the fruits in their home. Because wherever you're connected, those are the fruits that you will produce. Which is why you see in some people's lives, words that lash out at people and tear people down, it's because they're closely connected with their negativity and their anger. And you know other people who are always ready to reach out in love and care, it's because they're closely connected with compassion and love. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is what am I closely connected to? And as he asks that question, uh, seemingly, so he goes on and says, therefore, you have to abide in me because apart from me, you can do nothing and you will not even be alive if you're not connected to me. Which is why I have to make a confession. I asked you a trick question to begin with, saying which one of these is alive. Because the truth is, neither of them are alive. This was alive yesterday, but once I cut it from the tree, this tree, this branch is no longer alive, right? So if I would just leave it outside and come back to it a month later, are the leaves gonna look this way anymore? Are these nice branches which are more pliable? No, they're gonna be more brittle, they're gonna snap off, they're gonna break off. Why? Because this branch which was alive was removed from the tree and it is now dead. That's what Jesus is saying. He is saying that if, unless you abide in me and I in you, you can bear no fruit and you will not be alive. You can do nothing. Which is why we continually and constantly encourage you to be connected to Christ, be connected to his word, be connected to him in worship weekly, every single weekend, be connected to the gifts of God. Because when we're disconnected from him, that's when that life begins to drain from us. And then Jesus finishes this section by saying this. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. He says, those branches that produce nothing, they are good for nothing. In fact, that's the way that the vine, the wood of a vine actually is. That, that if that wood produced nothing, then actually that wood of a vine is so pliable that it is not sturdy enough to build anything or use for anything. And so the, the vine dresser will actually pull that vine out that isn't producing fruit. And the only thing it's good for is a bonfire. So they'll throw it into the bonfire as kindling for a bonfire so they can put a brand new vine out. But that vine is good for nothing. And he's saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I gather up those things that do nothing and I burn them because I need to supply the nutrients for that which is alive. In fact, as he's talking about this pruning, of what is dead and what is alive. And I tore off the last one at the last service. I couldn't do it for you, but, but this is actually a branch that was connected right here. 
So even in the midst of a branch that is seemingly alive, there are branches that are dead. And if you want to make the tree healthier, you prune the dead branches to save the live ones. Why? Because what are the dead branches doing to the live ones? They're stealing its nutrients, aren't they? They are taking from the live branches what can make them healthier for the sake of themselves. And for some of us, what we need to realize in our lives is that there are things in your life that you need to prune from your life. Relationships, values, ways that you're spending your time or your energy or your resources that, that are not offering you anything. There are dead things that are sucking the life out of you that God says, prune these things from your life so that everything else that's in your life can be healthier can be stronger, can produce greater fruits. And some of us, we just need to sit down and take a good look at our life and say, say, God, what are the dead things in my life that I need to get rid of so that the, the things that are alive can thrive? And he says in this section, he goes, and if you really want to be alive, he says, if you abide in me, then my words abide in you. Which is why we continually say, be in God's word, because the more you abide in God's word, the more his word will abide in your life. And out of it, you will display the fruits of being alive. Because how do we know, how do you know that a vine is alive? Well, you see its fruits. And for us, how do we know that our faith is alive? By the fruits of faith. Now, we're not saved by the fruits of our faith. That, that's not what gives us eternal life. It is our faith which clings to the promises of God. But if, if we have a faith that is alive, that faith that is alive will produce the fruits of faith just like a vine is alive will produce the fruit of the vine. Which is a reminder to us that it's not just about what we profess on Sunday, but what we practice on Monday. And some of us are really good at professing on Sunday. We come in and we, we sing the songs and we make the confession of faith and we say the right things and then we just go out and live however we want to on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday. But we're reminded in Scripture, it's not just profession, but practice. That's what it means to be alive. And the only way that we get this life is in Jesus Christ. It is Christ's life that gives us life. And it is only when we abide in him that we can receive the life that is his, knowing that it is the Father who nurtures us as the vine dresser, but it is Jesus who gives us that life through his word and his gifts, which is why you and I need to be connected to Christ so that we can bear the fruits of faith and love. And next week we'll talk about those fruits of faith. But the first and most important thing, if we're ever to bear that fruit, is we need to be connected to Christ. And the more connected we are, the more fruit we will bear. And the more fruit we will bear, the stronger we become in our connection to Christ. It is a beautiful relationship. It's what God calls us to. And it's the same thing for his church. The only way that our church will ever be alive, it doesn't come with the best planning, doesn't come with the best processes. It comes with a church that is connected to the one thing that gives it life, and that is Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the reasons that we are, we, we see this so importantly, our connection with Christ, is this. Uh, this past year, 
The staff has been reading through a book called Generation Z. It's a study on Generation Z and their spiritual life. It's our youngest generation. And as they've been going through this, they did a comparison of two different things, uh, they, uh, of a bunch of different things, but two of the things they compared was what was called engaged Christians of Generation Z and churched Christians of Generation Z. Now, the difference between an engaged Christian and a church Christian, because you're like, what, like, how does that differ? An engaged Christian is not just one who shows up on Sunday morning or Saturday night for worship, but is one who also is involved in prayers and devotions in their home and is involved in youth group and in Bible study and in personal devotional time. And they're engaged consistently with their faith life. And on the other side, we're, we're Christians who are called church Christians who, who they came to worship and they came to worship consistently, but that was the extent of their spiritual life. And he compared the engaged with the churched. And I want to show you some of the results of the difference. It says, when it looked at Generation Z and asked them, what are the most important factors when you think about your future? What, what most influences how you think about your future? They gave them five options. They gave more than that, but the five that stood out was my religious faith, my personal interests, money, parents, friends. For engaged Christians, 53% said their faith was the most important thing most important factor that determined their future. For church Christians, it was 15%. You see the remarkable difference there? Then, for every other category, engaged Christians go down. For the engaged Christian, their faith was the most important. Not even one, not, none others come even close. 30% difference with the next one. But for the church Christian, you see others that are much more important than their faith. Then they asked them about their morality. And they said, said, when you think about your morals and moral issues uh, that deal with scripture, and they asked them about lying and about abortion and marriage between a man and a woman and, and uh, things like that, there was a remarkable difference between engaged Christians who were constantly spending time in God's word and found that foundational uh, against church Christians. In fact, that top line in each section is the engaged Christian. Because when you are connected to Christ, what he has to say changes everything. It gives you life. And it allows you to bear the fruits of faith that are in your life. Which is why over this next year, we're going to continually ask you and talk about how we are connected to Christ. And how do we become a healthy, fruit-bearing church and healthy, fruit-bearing disciples? In fact, after this sermon series, we're going to do another sermon series that's called a heart check. And that's based off of uh, the scripture that's all about King David, where the scriptures describe King David as a king whose heart was after the Lord. And we're going to say, okay, if David was described as a king whose heart was after the Lord, what does that mean for us? How do we have a heart like David's heart that goes after the Lord? And we're going to look at his heart. And we're going to do a Bible study actually on Monday nights led by Brad Alice that's going to speak about the four kings whose hearts were compared to David's hearts which were after the Lord. And what does that mean for us as well? Then we're going to do another sermon series in 2020, the beginning of 2020, on mercy. And if we have a heart after the Lord, what does that mean for how we show mercy towards other people? 
And then we're going to do another sermon series that's going to talk about, okay, God is at work, but how is God at work in the four areas of life that are probably most important to us? Our workplace, our home, our community, and our church. How is God at work in those four areas of our life? And we're going to look at what does that mean for us as Christians to bear fruit that means that we are alive, connected to Christ, and bearing fruit in our life. And then we're going to encourage you to be engaged, not just churched, but engaged. And what we mean by that is finding those discipleship places where we're engaged. And, and I've used this before. Some of you have heard me using this language before. And, and if you haven't, uh, let me explain. We talk about rows to circles, pairs and chairs. What rows to circles mean is this. Right now, you're in rows. Rows tend to be a little more passive, right? Because uh, you sit and you listen and I talk. And then you, you listen to what the person up front says and, and you passively follow sometimes. Meaning, um, I remember that I was at a church one time and the pastor forgot if the people were supposed to sit or stand during that portion of the worship service. So, so he goes, everyone stand, I mean sit, I mean, stand, stand. And as they were doing it, you saw people going like this. Right, because you just do whatever the guy up front says, right? So you just follow, but it's a passive, you know, it's like a movie theater experience. Circles are different. When you're in a circle, you're experiencing life together. There's accountability. There is encouragement. There's, there is sharing. There is taking care of one another. There is this life exchange that's taking place. What we mean by pairs is this. A pairing relationship is like a mentoring relationship. Or it's those places where you visit somebody in the hospital or in their homes and you care for them. But it's that one-on-one -on -one relationship by which we are actually able to really tend to that person, their needs, their hopes, their desires, their failures, just caring for them one-on-one. -on -one. And the other relationship is just you, a chair, and God's Word. Whether that's on an app or in a devotional or in God's Word and just reading portions of it, but that it's just you and God's Word just spending time together. We believe that we see through Scripture and also in how it works in the lives of God's people that these are some of the most important places that we can spend time with God. And as we do this, uh, we're going to continually evaluate the spiritual fitness that we have. Now, what do I mean by spiritual fitness? It's like this. Um, I don't know how many of you ever did this, but when I was an athlete at the beginning of sports seasons, we would have to do a fit test. Anyone ever have to endure a fit test in here? Those are some of the worst experiences, especially of one of those coaches, which I had. Uh, we had a coach uh, that uh, came down from the high school to our junior high wrestling team. His name was Coach Grushka. He was Russian. He was about this tall and about this wide. And, and, and he was just that typical, like barrel-chested, and, and, and he was rough, and he was tough. And, and his whole goal was to see if he could get you to quit. And he would just run you and run you, and there would be anaerobics, and there would be jumping, and there would be lifting, and there would be sprinting, and, and just all sorts of things. And, and at the end, the test was to see how fit, how ready are you for the season that's coming. And in Scripture, we see that there are markers of what it means to be spiritually fit. And what we see in Scripture, and we're going to continue to engage, are these seven markers of what it means to be spiritually fit and prepared for what God has next. So if we're going to talk about future ministry plans, future building expansions, future uh, plans for how things go at grace, what we need to be is we need to have a, a heart that follows after God and be spiritually fit so that we can move into the future God wants for us. And in Scripture, we see these seven areas. 
We, we need a healthiness in worship, a healthiness in, in community and fellowship, in how we engage the scriptures, not just in worship, but consistently and constantly in our life. To be personally witnessing, and we're going to talk more about that next week, the, the, the sharing of faith, the reaching out in love, the personally witnessing to others, equipping for ministry, both in our homes and our workplaces, caring for others in generosity. But as we do this, as we say, God, how are you leading us forward by your grace? How are you leading us into the future you have for us? In order to go forward, we, as the body of Christ, we need to be connected to the only one who can give us life here at Grace, so that as we are connected to his life, we will bear fruit, and in bearing fruit, God is glorified, and we are faithful as disciples of Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are many things that we are connected to in our life, but the most important thing we can be connected to is you. So Lord, help us to be connected to your life because it is only in you that we have life. It is only when we are connected to the vine that we will be alive so that we might bear the fruits of faith and then help us to bear those fruits of faith in worship, in community, in our constant and consistent engaging scripture, in our personal witness, being equipped for ministry, caring for others, and in our generosity, help us to be spiritually fit for the work that you have for us so that we might glorify your holy name and move into the future that you have for us both as a church but also as individual followers of Jesus Christ. Make us alive so that we might bear the fruits of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.